And so as we continue in our series, uh, our 2020 Kingdom Vision Series through the Sermon on the Mount, it just seems fitting, somehow God arranged it so that we were in Matthew chapter 7 and talking about prayer. I don't think that's a coincidence for us today. Um, And as we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking about how uh, this is really Jesus casting his vision for his followers. This is Jesus showing us what he desires for our lives and how he desires us to live. But there's this hard reality that as we study through the sermon, we recognize that apart from the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, living the Christian life is impossible. Trying to do this on our own is impossible. We need God's power and presence in us if we have any chance of living a life that would glorify God. And so last week, we saw Jesus' instruction in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 7, just about how Christian brothers and sisters are to interact with one another. And Matt Moorhead was here, one of the founding pastors, and and he just did a fantastic job uh, opening God's word and, and telling us how, hey, yes, we need to keep each other accountable as Christians, but we need to do so in a non hypocritical way to not have a judgmental spirit about us in the way that we keep one another accountable, but do so with humility and love and for restoration and the good and health of the body. And if you have your notes, the main idea for this week is right there at the top, and it says this, it's that prayer will deepen or deepens our relationship with God and transforms our relationship with others. So in other words, our relationship vertically with God transforms our horizontal relationship with other people. And with that, let's read from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. This is God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So the first thing that I want to point out to us and the first point in your notes there is as Jesus begins to say, ask, seek, knock, uh, really pursue God, what he's telling us is that our prayer life should be one of persistence, that we need to pray with persistence. It's not just this one time, okay, I said a prayer and now my prayer life is done. No, we need to persist in our praying. And here's the deal. As we look at each one of these ask, seek, and knock, it starts with ask. And this is so significant for us because here's here's the reality. God desires each one of us to approach him in humility. And he desires us to approach him with recognition of our desperate need for him. There's not a day that goes by that you do not need God's help and work in your life. And so when we continue to ask God, we honor him 
because we are recognizing through our actions that we have a relationship with him and we have a dependence upon him. Now, I don't know about your children, but my children have a PhD in asking me for things. Any amens from parents out there? Anyone? Anyone following me here? I don't know where they've learned that. It just seems instinctive to their nature. But my kids are asking me for things relentlessly every single day. Daddy, I want a snack. Daddy, whatever. I mean, this is an endless list. And as I've thought about that, I've actually been quite honored by that. Because here's the reality. If my kids didn't think I was going to actually grant some of their requests, they would stop asking. If my kids didn't think I cared about them, if my kids didn't think I loved them, they wouldn't ask me for a thing. And yet they ask me over and over and over every single day. This is the invitation that Jesus is giving to us if we are followers of him. He's saying, God the Father desires us to come and ask of him. He desires us to engage in communication with him because he loves us. We see Jesus continue to say we're not only supposed to ask, but we are also to seek. Seek and you will find. When Cheryl and I first got married, we had a a, a little park outside of our apartment, and we used to go at lunchtime and throw around the Frisbee. And there was this one day, I don't know why, but I was throwing the Frisbee with my left hand, and I, I threw the Frisbee, and my wedding ring just went flying off of my hand into the grass. And... Okay, like you're thinking, oh, dang it, I lost my wedding ring, but we'll find it, no big deal. So we start looking through the grass, and we cannot find it. We can't find it anywhere. And so, so I have to go back to work. I'm like, honey, like, you're going to have to handle this somehow. And, and so we, we put together a game plan. We're like, okay, you go rent a metal detector, but first let's get some sticks, and we'll make a circle around the area we think that this is in, and then come and detect it. And so she went, I went back to work, she went and got a metal detector, so here's my wife out in the field, metal detecting, right? And the ring actually ended up being outside of that circle that we had marked off. That's how far it had rolled or bounced or whatever. And so, so she finally found it, and we were so joyful when we found it, because this ring, she had custom made. She went to a jewelry shop and had it custom designed and all that, and, and it was precious to us. It wasn't just a piece of metal. It it symbolized something sacred and precious. And when we see God as sacred and precious, we're going to seek him. Because we as humans instinctively seek that which we value. If you paused and thought through what are you seeking with your life right now, what would it reveal about the things you value? What would it reveal? And here Jesus is saying, seek, seek God. There is nothing greater than knowing him. There is no infinite treasure you will find elsewhere than knowing your maker and your God. One of the primary ways that you and I seek God is through studying his word. 
You know, a lot of people will say like, well, if God would just speak to me, then I would know he's real. Or I would know he exists. Well, God has spoken to us. And we can be sure that this is his revealed word. And so if you and I are to be ones who are seeking after God and finding God, this is our starting point. Yes, we pray and we talk to God. And even as we approach his word, we pray acknowledging, God, help me understand this. Help this to transform my life and my relationship with you. But God has already spoken, friends and family. He has already told us. He has already revealed himself, his heart and his desire. And if we stay anchored to seeking him through his word, we will not go astray. And here's what we learn in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says this. God says, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your hearts. What does your heart seek after? We have the promise in God's word that if we seek after him, he is to be found. We can know him. And if we seek him with our heart, that's our affections, we will know a relationship with our God. Well, lastly, Jesus instructs us to knock, and he puts the, the, this is where I think he puts this emphasis on persistence. Don't grow weary in seeking God. Don't grow weary in your prayer life. Keep knocking. Some of you have heard the story a few months back when Cheryl was still pregnant, and uh, it was 1 a.m. in the morning, and she locked herself out of our house because she was cleaning the garage, Okay. And she didn't have her phone, and she didn't have any car keys. And she's, I don't know, seven months pregnant or something. And she comes, and she starts knocking on our door. She starts ringing the doorbell, and me and the kids are out. 1 a.m. I had a cold there, so don't, don't, don't hate on me for this. All right? Then she even went and got a soccer ball, and she's like throwing it at our back window, um, trying to wake me up, but to no avail, right? So she just decides, hey, I'm going to go settle up cozy in the garage and go to bed for the night. So she found a little blanket, and she found a bar stool and propped it up, and she slept in our garage that night. So I come down in the morning to like knock on the garage. Oh, there's Cheryl. Oh, what are you doing in the garage? 6 a.m., but here's the thing, I'm not certain of this, but I'm pretty certain if she would have just kept banging on the door, if she would have kept ringing the doorbell relentlessly, I think one of us would have woke up eventually. Might have been an hour, might have been two, but she would have been able to sleep in her bed that night, okay? It's just this idea, Jesus is saying, knock and the door will be open to you, but we need to persist, we need to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And it's all because God desires us to draw near to him and to trust that he wants to give us what is good for us. So not only are we to pray with persistence, Jesus then calls us to pray with the right perspective. I think this is very important. We can pray with all sorts of wrong perspectives, but here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
If your son asks you for bread, I love that Jesus just again makes this so familial. Everyone present values family. Okay, that was the, the Jewish culture valued family very highly. And so Jesus is, is just hitting them in the heart here. And he's saying, hey, your son, your daughter, if they, if they desire something good, do you give them something bad? No. Why? Because fathers and mothers instinctively just love their children. Now, kids, don't like take this and run with it, but you don't have to do anything to prove your love or to be worthy of your parents' love. Your parents just love you. And here Jesus is saying, look, guys, God is good. He loves you. He cares for you. Have that perspective as you pray. I think maybe that there are many things that we don't receive from God simply because we don't ask him. Simply because we don't humble ourselves and come before him and submit our requests to our Heavenly Father. I think there would just be a lot more that we would have as, as people and individuals, not in a health, wealth, and prosperity way, but just in a genuine relational uh, way and depth with God. And here's the other perspective we need to keep in mind, is that not only does God love us as, as our Father, and we are His children, 1 John 5.14 says this, says, and this is the confidence we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We must keep in mind that all of us are prone to selfishness, even in our prayer life, are we not? How many of us, the, the majority of time we pray is when we're in desperate need, right? Oh, help. Oh, God, I really want this. I really want that. See, th this passage tells us that that. If we ask and we don't receive something, we can still trust that God is good and that he knows better than we do. You see, I think many of us would declare and believe the truth. Oh, yeah, God is, is the, the perfectly good one. He's the only one who understands the big picture and how all this craziness of life works out for his plan and his will and his glory. But do our lives really show that? Does our functional faith show that we really believe that? And does our prayer life reflect that? I don't know if you caught it or not, but probably the, the most uh, eye-catching verse uh, is the second part of verse 11. Jesus says this, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts. Did anyone catch that the first go around? And they're like, ooh, what's he saying there? This is the first time that Jesus very bluntly calls out the condition of the human heart. See, we, we've seen so far Jesus reveal to us um, that, that we all fall short, that we're all sinful, but this is the first time that he just straight up calls this crowd evil. If you who are evil, and you got to think about this from the perspective of the Israelites, because these are God's chosen people, Right? And so they're sitting around, and, and here's Jesus, this teacher, and he says, hey, guess what? 
Israel, you're evil. It's your positive, encouraging boost for the day, (laughs) right? That would have been absolutely striking for this crowd to hear Jesus say this. And this is the biblical reality that humanity by nature is evil, deserving of the wrath of a holy God. This is the bad news. This is the curse over all of this planet. You know, I think all of us would like to believe that we are good people who do bad things. That feels better, right? Doesn't that feel better? Well, if you listen to our culture, our our culture would tell us, oh, no, 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 we're good people. We just go astray sometimes. We just get off the path once in a while. But here Jesus is saying, you who are evil know how to give good gifts. The doctrine of total depravity applies here. This is the doctrine that says that we aren't as bad as we possibly could be, but we are corrupt to the core and unable to fix ourselves. Our corruption goes deep into our hearts, and by our own means, we can never fix ourselves. This is why Jesus came. And this is why Jesus can say with the rest of verse 11, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The greatest gift God has ever given humanity is the gift of salvation. That's the greatest gift any human can possibly receive, the gift of redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. Romans 5, 8 through 10 puts it this way. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, from, him, from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. The most important question for every single individual in this room this morning is this, is have I received the salvation that God has provided through Jesus Christ? Do I have peace with God through the shed blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And if you can't answer that question with an emphatic yes, I invite you to let today be the day of salvation. I invite you to surrender to your self-will and your pride And say, God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I don't have what it takes. I need your life in my place. And to receive the gift of salvation by faith. There is only one way to peace with God, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the church is built upon. 
And only when you have peace with God can your soul truly be at rest and can your restless heart find its home. Well, I love sharing the story about how Cheryl drove by this building and was prompted by the Spirit to pray and specifically ask God, hey, if, that, if this is for us, God, have the contract fall through. And I got a text the next week saying that it had fallen through and just this crazy power of prayer. But there's a bigger story behind that. Many people don't know that for the previous few weeks, Cheryl had really been struggling with her prayer life. She was asking things of God. And she was not getting answers. And she was just had, had talked with me and processed with me just saying, gosh, I just, I don't know what's going on. I just keep asking God for stuff. And then like the opposite thing happens. What's going on? And we had a conversation. We we're just like, well, you know, sometimes God just says no. Are we okay with that? As God's children, are we okay with it when God says no? And it's not because I don't love you. It's because I know better than you. And my plans are better than the plans that you have. And my purposes are bigger than the purposes that you have in mind. And so what is so important for us in this text and how this text is often misused is a Christian just say, oh, look, we ask anything of God, and he grants us that gift. No, prayer is not just this magic wand or like, uh, like we, we rub God like a genie in a bottle, and he appears and just answers our every beck and call. That is not the purpose and the point of prayer. The point of prayer is to draw our hearts into deeper communion with God. So that our hearts are in line with his will for our lives. So that we truly come to the place of saying, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. Sure, I have needs. Sure, I have desires. I'm going to lay those before you. But ultimately, God, I'm going to surrender to you. You know what's best. And that shows that it's not about us, but it's about our God. And this is where the daily walk of faith becomes so practical. This is a daily journey of trust that when life doesn't make sense, that we still go before God. When heartbreaking things happen, we still acknowledge that Jesus is on his throne and he is not unaware of the challenges that we go through. God wants us to come to him regularly. He wants us to seek to find comfort in him, to find care from him. He wants us to seek him for wisdom and counsel on what we should do with our lives. And we honor God greatly when we do this with persistence and when we pray with the right perspective. And at the end of the day, when we do that, God gives our hearts peace and he gets the glory. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the kicker. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Prayer is not the magic wand, but it sure does change things in our hearts. 
It gives us peace knowing that God knows what he's doing. If we have peace with God, we have nothing to fear. And that's good news for us today. Lastly, verse 12. As we seek God privately through prayer and through his word, it transforms our relationship with others. Jesus says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Many in our culture would maybe say differently, but the Christian life is not just a private life of devotion to God. It is meant to be a public life, putting the love of God on display. And we can't work away around this verse, right? A lot of people, well, I just won't do to other people what I wouldn't want them done, done to me, right? That's, that's the, the more passive way of looking at the golden rule. Jesus is saying, no, 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 do unto others what you would have them do Unto you. This is proactive. This is action oriented. You can't sit on the sidelines and say, Well, I, I didn't cuss anybody out today, God. That's a plus. No. He's saying, Do unto others what you would have done to you. The Christian life is a proactive life of faith, bringing love and good into this world in the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4 8 says this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. If there is one thing that I'm certain of for Redemption Church, it is that God wants to use us as a beacon of light and as agents of love to the people of this city. That's the only reason we're in this building today. This is the beginning of of what God wants to keep doing. And he wants to use our lives in ways that we would never have even imagined to make the name of Jesus famous and the salvation that is found in him known. We chose this name redemption for our church because it's a word that truly is at the heart of the gospel. And if there's one thing you know about redemption as you hear the gospel, often. But the word redemption is, is at the heart of it. And while uh, th this building is a beautiful picture of redemption, a building that was essentially falling apart, that's been made new, God is about redeeming the brokenness that is inside humanity and giving new life to the human soul. One thing I love, and maybe you noticed the cross on this stage, but this cross is actually a little bit of a story behind it as well. As, as we were in the demolition process of this building, Dean was tearing down this old rickety awning that was out here on the west side, and he found this wood inside the awning. And uh, Dean is like this master carpenter, woodworker, and he saw this beautiful redwood, and he laid it aside, and as he's looking at it, he says, there's a cross. That's a cross. And so one of the first things Dean constructed was this cross. One of the first things put together inside this building was the cross. What a cool story of redemption. 
What a cool story that points to the sacrifice Jesus made on behalf of our sins so that we could have new life in him. This is what the gospel's about. This is why we gather. This is what we celebrate. And as Ephesians 1.7 puts it, It says, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Grace is an undeserved gift, but it is the love that God has lavished upon his people. And I would pray that because of God's grace, we would be a people who enjoy our relationship with God and that we would make his love and grace known to this city. Will you join me to that end? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Hallelujah.